Well, good morning. It's my privilege this morning to uh, share from the Word of God with you as we continue our series looking at the Sermon on the Mount in the book of Matthew. Our pastor, Tony Hall, is uh, traveling, preaching at a revival in West Virginia. And so he's not here with us this morning. My name's Michael Gilbert. I'm an elder here at uh, Cornerstone, and I'm going to be sharing with you from Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 20. So if you would, turn in your Bibles to Matthew 5, beginning in verse 17. If you would, I know you just sat down, but if you would stand as we read the Word of God. Matthew 5, 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that, of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray before we study. Father, we just thank you so much for your word. We thank you for this wonderful message of Christ with the Sermon on the Mount. We just pray that you would open our eyes to see, enlighten our minds to the truth of your word. In Christ's name, amen. You can be seated. Well, this morning... I'm going to tell you what we're going to talk about right from the beginning to make sure that I cover it. So you might want to jot these down. And if I don't catch them, you know, just raise your hand and say, hey, you missed that. Where'd that come from? You you said that, but you didn't say it. So the first point from Matthew 5, 17 is that Jesus fulfilled Scripture and that all Scripture points to what he accomplished on the cross. Jesus fulfilled it. And he fulfilled it on the cross. Number two, the purpose of the law. We see the law here in this passage. The purpose of the law is to show us our sin, to bring us to Christ, and to have a changed life because of his salvation. And three, God wants repentance and righteousness in your renewed heart through the grace that God provides. So that's what we're going to look at here in Matthew chapter 5. But before we get into the text, let's do a little bit of background and review. You'll notice here that we are in uh, Matthew 5, chapter 5. There are 28 chapters in Matthew. So we're in the beginning. This is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. In fact, if you just flip back a couple of pages... Uh, I'm going to give you a real quick synopsis of the book of Matthew up to this point. In chapters 1 and 2, we see Jesus born, the wise men come, the flight to Egypt, and the family then returns to Nazareth at the end of chapter 2. In chapter 3, we see the baptism of Jesus. Chapter 4 begins with the temptation of Jesus. And then in the middle of chapter 4, in verse 17, it says... From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, 
for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So Jesus' ministry starts here in Matthew 4, 17. We then see Jesus call the first few disciples. And in the end of chapter 4, beginning in verse 23, it says, And he, Jesus, went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction amongst the people. So his fame spread. And at the end of the chapter, it says, And great crowds followed him. Jesus preached and healed. His fame spread, and people followed him. And then in chapter 5, we have this sermon, the Sermon on the Mount that we've been studying over the past few weeks. You know, there's a parallel passage to this that we don't often think about when it comes to the Sermon on the Mount, and that's found in Luke. And so if we flip over to Luke, and in fact, let's start at Luke 4. If you have these titles in your uh, Bible, you'll see that Luke 4 starts just like Matthew 4. Luke 4 starts with the temptation of Jesus. In the middle of Luke 4, just like in the middle of Matthew 4, Jesus begins his ministry. And here's what Luke has to say uh, in verse 16. As was his custom, as was Jesus' custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And he read from the prophet Isaiah. And then in verse uh, 21, it says, And Jesus began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. Luke goes on to describe in some detail what Matthew uh, put in synopsis. Matthew said that Jesus preached and healed. Luke gives us some of those examples. And you see him uh, going to the, uh, uh, in, in 31, going to the town of Capernaum in the city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching, it says. And then he healed someone during that uh, teaching session. There are several other healings that take place. But in chapter 5, in verse 17, we see that Jesus is teaching the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were sitting there, and they had come from all these villages, and the power of the Lord was with him. And some people came with a paralyzed man, and they lowered him down to where Jesus was teaching. And what did Jesus say in verse 20? He says, your sins are forgiven. And we begin to see some conflict. The Pharisees and the teachers who were there, when Jesus says, your sins are forgiven, they say, wait a minute, that's blasphemy. What? You can't say that. And this conflict begins to arise between Jesus and the Pharisees. And we see it again in, in later in chapter 5, where there's this question at the end of the book around fasting. And the Pharisees are saying, why aren't your disciples fasting? In chapter 6, we see again on the Sabbath day that some of Jesus' disciples pluck some grain. And the Pharisees come and say, hey, wait a minute, you're not obeying the law. That's conflict. And this conflict is building. Later in chapter 6, on another Sabbath, Jesus enters the synagogue and he heals someone. Oh, no, he's working on the Sabbath. Conflict. And they question Jesus. And then this is pretty interesting. Look at Luke 6, 12. It says, in these days, 
he, Jesus, went to the mountain. He went to the mount to pray. And all night he continued in prayer to God. And I don't know if you realize just how much time Jesus spent in prayer. How many nights he spent praying to the Father, communicating to the Father, being in fellowship with the Father through prayer. And when he came down in verse uh, 13, when day came, he called his disciples. He called his followers. There was this large group of followers. And he chose from them 12, whom he named apostles. And we see their names listed in, in chapter 6. And then what did he do? With these disciples, with the followers, and a great multitude, they come to this level place on the mountain. And Jesus says, Blessed are you who are poor. Blessed are you who are hungry. Blessed are you who, are, who weep. He preaches the same passage from Matthew 5. It ends the same way with a house built on the rock in chapter 6. And so that's the context that we have here in Matthew 5. There's this building conflict between Jesus and the Pharisees. And he comes to preach to them on the Sermon on the Mount. And what have we heard him say? Blessed are the poor. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure at heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. He was right in their face. Because the Pharisees were what? Anything but merciful, pure at heart, peacemakers, meek. No, the Pharisees were boastful, prideful, arrogant, self-absorbed. And Jesus calls them out on it right from the very, very beginning. I mean, the Pharisees were trying to live righteous lives by obedience to the law. And Jesus said, no, 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 you don't get it. You don't understand. Righteousness is being meek. It's being pure at heart. It's being poor. It's being a peacemaker. And so this message that we sometimes think is just very humble and meek was in the face of the culture at the time. And so Jesus' message was completely different from what the people had been hearing. They had been hearing about obedience to the law, all this outward behavior. And Jesus was saying, no, 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 no. Righteousness, true righteousness, is from the heart. And, and this is a completely different message. Remember what we read? The gracious words of Jesus. So Jesus was preaching a message of grace and mercy. And the scribes and the Pharisees, what were they teaching? They were teaching a message of lawful obedience, outward behavior, and appearances were all important. You see, the scribes and the Pharisees, they were busy talking about the law. And Jesus was busy talking about mercy and grace. The scribes and the Pharisees were busy working. And the, the Pharisees took the law and put it in a little box and bound it on their heads. They were binding people to the law. And what did Jesus do? He said, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees were so absorbed with the outside. And Jesus said, no, no, you're missing the point. It's all about the inside. And, and so these messages were so different 
people were starting to say, is this some kind of new theology? Is this some kind of new uh, religion? Is, is this some revolutionary new theology? I mean, that's what revolutionaries do, right? If you're going to have a revolution, you come in and you take all the things of the old and you throw them aside and you create something new. You know, when Castro had the revolution in Cuba, they threw out all the old uh, uh, government and established a new one, something completely different. And Jesus says in Matthew 5, 17, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them. I've come to fulfill them. Notice how he starts. He says, do not think. Guess what they were doing? They were thinking. They were thinking, I think he's coming with some new religion. I think this is something brand new. I I think he's come to destroy the Old Testament and the law and the teachings of the Pharisees. And Jesus says, don't even think it. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law. I've not come. I did not come, it says, to abolish the law. Now, this word abolish, it means to destroy, to break down, to tear apart. It's the same word used about the temple, that the temple would be destroyed. And we know that when the temple was destroyed, not a brick stood on a brick, not a stone stood on a stone. It was completely destroyed. That's the word here. Have you ever watched that uh, program, uh, Extreme Home Makeover, right? They come into the house, right? And there's holes in the floor and there's mold in the walls and the house is too small and cluttered. They don't come in and clean it up, do they? Build an addition. What do they do? The few times I've seen it, they come in with a bulldozer, with a wrecking ball. They tear it down. I mean, they level it to the ground. And then they build something completely new. And Jesus said, that's not what I'm here for. I'm not here to abolish the law. I've not come to destroy it. The new covenant does not come to destroy the old covenant. Jesus came to fulfill it. And so, we need to understand that the law of God never changes. The standards of God remain the same. In the first commandment, God says what? I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other God before me. That still applies. That applies to us today. In fact, Jesus reinforced that in the New Testament when he said, when asked the question, what's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Have no other gods before me. That still applies. And so let's uh, focus on this word law. Let's get a little more specific. Because law could mean one of three things. We could be talking about the Ten Commandments, the law, right? We could be talking about the books of the law, the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the Pentateuch, the first five books. Or we could be talking about the whole Old Testament. Well, which was it? Unfortunately, for the audience that Jesus was speaking to, they created a fourth option. Their thinking was that when Jesus talks about the law, they're thinking about all the traditions of men, all the rituals, all these laws that the Pharisees had created, that the scribes had written down, this 
incredible, huge book of laws that were designed to manage behavior, to manage outward conformity and obedience. But that's not what Jesus was talking about. I mean, let me give you an example. Uh, let's talk a little bit about these rabbinic laws, the, the laws that the Pharisees had held themselves up to. You know, the, the commandment says to honor the Sabbath, or to remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. To remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. So the Pharisees got together and said, hmm, all right, how do we do that? Okay, we don't work. Well, what's work? And so there are pages and pages to describe what work is. And one of the things they did describe as work was lifting a burden. All right. So you can't carry a burden. Well, what's a burden? And so there were pages and pages of items that described what a burden was. I mean, a burden to the Jewish people of Jesus' time was lifting food that weighed more than a dried fig or a prune. Now, I didn't bring one. I'm not quite sure how much a, a dried fig or prune weighs, but it's not much, right? So if you picked up an apple, whoa, oh, oh, that's a little heavier. You're working. If they moved a lamp in the house, oh, that was work. If you picked up your child on the Sabbath day, that was work. If you were a woman and you wore jewelry and your jewelry weighed more than a fig, that was work. And so there was this huge, complex system of rules and regulations that the Pharisees, that the, that the scribes wrote down, that the Pharisees followed, that they excluded themselves from anybody else who wouldn't follow those commandments, those laws. But what does Jesus say? He comes along and says, I didn't come to destroy the law. Well, he might have wanted to destroy the law of the Pharisees, this man-made, made-up law, but he didn't come to destroy the word of God, the law. And let's look at that. I mean, which is it? The Ten Commandments? The first five books? Or is it the Old Testament? If we look at the text, notice what it says. Watch this. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. Well, that kind of sells it. Because at some times, it's, uh, when we see the word law, it is, using, it is being used to talk about the Ten Commandments. Sometimes it is talking about the law of Moses, the first five books. But when you see the law or the prophet, that kind of settles it. It's the whole Old Testament. And you'll see that same phrase, the law and the prophets, the law and the prophets and the Psalms, used a dozen times in the New Testament. And every time it's talking about the Old Testament. And so what is Jesus saying then? He's, he's saying, I've not come to destroy the law, I've come to fulfill the law. I've not come to destroy the Old Testament. I am the fulfillment of the Old Testament. He's standing face to face with this multitude who is looking for the Messiah. And he says to them, I am the fulfillment. I am the Messiah. I am everything that the Old Testament promised. Every prophecy, every picture, every foreshadowing, it's me. And the people should have fallen down in worship for who he was. But they didn't get it. They, they were thinking about all these laws and, and all this tradition that they had. And they missed the point that Jesus fulfills 
all scripture. He's everything. He's the consummation of the entire Bible. It's all about him and what he accomplished on the cross. Everything. The entire Bible is about what Jesus accomplished for us on the cross. Do you realize what a tremendous concept that is? Do you realize how powerful that is? I mean, let me just give you one picture. I mean, we could spend weeks talking about the prophecies that Jesus fulfilled, about the foreshadows and the pictures of the Old Testament that pointed to Christ in the cross. But let's just for a moment talk about the tabernacle. Remember in the Old Testament, the people had the tabernacle when they were in the wilderness before the temple was built? And, and to get into the tabernacle, you went through a door. And Jesus said what? I am the door. When you got through the door, there was a bronze altar for sacrifice. Jesus said, I am the sacrifice. I am the Lamb of God. I'm the ransom for many. Beyond the altar was a laver. Oh, it's a bowl that you used for washing. Jesus says, I wash you. I cleanse you from your sins. From there, you go into the holy place. And in the holy place, there was what? There was a lamp. Jesus said, what? I'm the light of the world. There was bread. Jesus said, what? I'm the bread of life. There was incense. And Jesus said, my prayers ascend to you. Separating the holy place from the holy of holies was a veil. And Jesus said, my body is the veil. And then in the holiest of holies was the mercy seat. And Jesus said, I am mercy. I bring mercy. I'm the Lamb of God. Do you see what a beautiful picture that is? Do you know that every book of the Bible points to Jesus? Every book in the Old Testament, we can see a picture of Christ. Jesus fulfilled it all. He fulfilled the law. He fulfilled the prophets. He fulfilled the Old Testament. He fulfilled the Bible, and it all points to what he accomplished on the cross. So he fulfilled it all. Jesus fulfilled it all. And he fulfilled it in not so much what he said or what he did, but he fulfilled it in who he was because he was the righteousness of God, the perfect righteousness of God. He was the Messiah that was promised. So when Jesus stood in front of this audience and in Matthew 5.17 said, I have come to fulfill the law, it should have knocked the people flat down on their face. They should have realized that they were facing the Messiah and that the whole Old Testament from front to back and back to front is all about him. Jesus had to come. He had to come. And he had to do what the law couldn't do, provide righteousness. And that righteousness that Christ provided, he provides in us. In Romans chapter 8, verse 4, it says this, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. You see, Christ's perfect righteousness allows us to walk in the spirit, to have the righteousness of the law in us because of what Christ has done, because he is the fulfillment of all scripture. In verse 19, Jesus continues, and he says, For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, 
Not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. So he starts with, Jesus starts by saying, till heaven and earth pass. Well, that's a pretty strong introductory statement, right? I mean, till heaven and earth pass away, this isn't going to change. So has heaven and earth passed away? No. That means that, that neither a, an iota or a dot. And I struggle because I want to say a jot and a tittle, depending on what your version is. But let's, let's describe those two terms, dot, iota, an iota, as I understand it, and I'm not a Greek or Hebrew scholar, but an iota is a little superscript apostrophe, just a little, little apostrophe, small little mark. So not that little tiny iota. And the dot, the dot was used to distinguish one letter of the alphabet from the other. The best example I've read is the difference in our alphabet between an F and an E. Right? So you have an F with two horizontal lines. An E has a third little line down at the bottom. An F and an E are very different letters. Right? Consonant, vowel, different sounds. Just that little line makes the difference. That was what a dot did in the Hebrew language. It changed the letter. And so what Jesus is saying here is that not one little tiny iota, not one little dot, will pass until it's all fulfilled. And as Jesus was talking to the people, some of the Old Testament was already fulfilled. His incarnation and his birth were already fulfilled. His public ministry was being fulfilled just by him standing there or sitting there and preaching and teaching to the people. And some was yet to be fulfilled. His death his resurrection, his return to glory had yet to be fulfilled. But all of it will be fulfilled. Every iota, every dot will be fulfilled. None of it will be removed. So Jesus came to fulfill the law. And now we have to deal with this issue. What is our responsibility to the law? Are we bound by the law or are we free from the law? We could spend a lot of time because there's a lot of scripture that talks about freedom from the law and there's a lot of scripture that talks about our obligation to the law. Let's look at verses 19 and 20. They'll help us. Verse 19, Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commands and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus tells his audience, first of all, it's all about the inside. It's not about external behavior. And so the purpose of the law, first of all, was to show us our sin. To show us our sin, to bring us to Christ, who changes us from the inside out. Outward behaviors and obedience are worthless. It's all about repentance and righteousness based on grace and a renewed heart. In verse 19, uh, Jesus lays out an important truth that we should all understand, and that's our responsibility to God's commands. Now, let's be careful. 
Because this is not about works salvation. That's not what it says here. The purpose of the law is to show us our sin. It's to show us that we need divine intervention. We need God's grace. We need his mercy. We need salvation. And we need his righteousness. His righteousness imputed to us that we then live in obedience to God. So this word that we see, therefore, whoever relaxes, that word relax means to loosen, to destroy in some cases, to annul. And so what Jesus says in verse 17, that I've not come to destroy the law, to tear it down or to break it, he couldn't do it, right? The perfect son of God couldn't do it. But as Christians, there are times when we do what? We loosen the law. In our sinful state, we ignore the law. In disobedience, we fail to follow God's commands. And so while it was impossible for Christ, it is possible for us to disobey, to be disobedient. And Jesus says, don't disobey. For even one of the least of these commands, just kind of like the jot and tittle discussion, the iota and dot discussion, Even the least of these commandments are important for obedience. And we're called to obedience. The good news is your salvation doesn't depend on your obedience. Your salvation depends on your faith in Christ. God's not going to kick you out of the kingdom because you disobey. But it does say that if you openly disobey, if you openly misinterpret, if you manipulate the law for your own selfish and sinful desires, that you will be what? The least in the kingdom. Do you want to be the least in the kingdom? Or do you want to be the greatest in the kingdom? Do you want to be used by God? Then you have to be obedient. Because when you're obedient, God uses you. God blesses you. And God will reward you in heaven. And shouldn't that be our response in in light of what God has done for us to obey him, to love him in obedience? It's pretty straightforward. If you break it, you'll be the least. If you obey, you'll be the greatest. Now, we run into a little tricky spot here. Are we to obey all the laws? Does every law in the Old Testament apply to us today? I mean, Jesus said, I've not come to destroy the law. And then he says, you need to obey the commandments. So what do we do with sacrifice? Should, are we being disobedient by not sacrificing today? Uh, has anybody had some bacon? Are you being disobedient by eating pork? Because the Old Testament says that's unclean. Well, the Old Testament established the system for sacrifice for the priesthood, and it was all fulfilled in Christ. When he said, I came to fulfill the law, he fulfilled the laws around sacrifice because he was the sacrifice. We have a new sacrifice. We have a new priest. We have a new temple not made with hands. And so those ceremonial laws, those laws around sacrifice have been fulfilled. The same is true around the laws that were established to set Israel apart as a unique nation, a peculiar people to God. So they didn't eat pork, and all their neighbors did. 
There are a number of things that the Israelites didn't, did or didn't do that distinguished them as God's people. But now, because God has established his church in us, those laws are fulfilled. And so now he calls us to be a unique and a peculiar people, a holy people. By what? Through his righteousness, through salvation. That's what distinguishes us. We are made perfect because he is perfect. And I want to be very clear. I want to be very clear about our obligation around the law. And so let's take a look at Colossians 2. This, this is an amazing passage, an amazing passage. In Colossians 2, 13 and 14. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us of all our trespasses. And this is it. Listen to this. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Do you see that? God's commands still stand. And every time we break them, there's a log. They're written down. Sin, 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 sin. And the consequences of that sin is what? Death. Penalty of lawlessness is death. But what did God do? He nailed those lists. He nailed your sins. He nailed your sins on the cross with Jesus. So the penalty, the penalty of the law doesn't apply. Galatians 3.10 says, Cursed is he who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law. So you're cursed if you don't abide by it all. But Jesus took that curse on himself. And so do we have freedom from the law? Yes, we have freedom from the penalty of the law. We have freedom from the curse of the law because Christ took that on himself. And in so doing, we are called then to obedience. And our response is in obedience to God. That's why Paul in Romans 7.22 says, I delight, I delight in the law of God. So the righteousness of the law is fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. When you walk in the spirit, the righteousness of God fills you and you are obedient to the law. All right, let's look, at, let's look at verse 20. Jesus says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So this is pretty straightforward. Unless you are better than the scribes and the Pharisees, unless your righteousness exceeds theirs, you're not going to get into heaven. Now, that was a pretty tall order. And in, in the Old Testament time, or in the New Testament times, there was a saying that if only two people could go to heaven, it would be a scribe and a Pharisee. Because the scribes wrote down the law. And they spent their lives writing the law. And many of them had the entire law memorized. They knew it. They knew it. The Pharisees spent their whole lives obeying the law. They separated themselves from everyone else in the Jewish society and followed the law 
these traditions that they created. And Jesus is saying, not only to us, and not only to the audience there, but particularly to the scribes and the Pharisees, your righteousness is worthless. It's not enough. You cannot get into the kingdom of heaven unless your righteousness exceeds that of what you're seeing here. So, the law and obedience to the law, this outward behavior, isn't enough. And that's why we see in uh, Matthew 23, 25, Jesus says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, but the inside they are full of extortion and excess. You see, the problem with the Pharisees is that it was all on the outside for them. It was all about outward behavior. And, you know, we struggle with that even today. Whether, you, whether you're saved or not, we struggle with that little bit of Pharisee in us that judges others, that thinks we've got to behave a certain way, that, that wants us to show up in certain way to people so that you see me as something that I'm not really. Not really, because it's all about the heart. We need to examine our hearts. We need to understand where we stand in terms of our obedience. Is our obedience because God's imputed righteousness is just flowing through us? As we'll see later in in, uh, Matthew 5, we'll see that not only is God's righteousness imputed into us and that it uh, controls our behaviors, But Christ raises the bar. He says it's not about your actions. It's about your thoughts and what you think. And so the Pharisees were very good at outward behavior, but the inside of their cup was filthy. And we have to stop and think about and examine our own hearts. Luke 16, 15 says, the scripture says, You are those who justify yourselves before men. But God knows your hearts, for what is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. 1 Samuel 16.7 says what? Man looks on the outward appearance. God looks on the heart. And so what kind of righteousness does God require? The righteousness of the scribe and the Pharisees? No. God says, be holy because I am holy. Be perfect because I am perfect. And can you do that on your own? Is there anything you can do to be perfect and holy? You can try all you want. I mean, that's the whole pharisaical system that was set up to try to behave, to earn your way to heaven. And Jesus says, it's worthless. You need my righteousness. You need the righteousness that comes through faith in me. And so the purpose of the law was to show us our sins. It was to bring us to Christ and to have him change us. And God expects us to live a righteous life because of his grace, because of his salvation, because of the mercy he grants. And so there are two questions for you this morning. The first is, have you accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior? Do you know that righteousness? Because if you don't, because if you have not, there is no way Jesus is very clear, very clear. No matter how righteous you think you are, 
No matter how hard you try, you cannot go to heaven unless you know Christ, unless you have his righteousness, unless the blood of Christ, the righteousness of God, is in you through salvation. And so if that's you this morning, please come and talk to me after the service. Let me help explain to you how you can become a child of God and have a place in heaven. And for those of you who have already done that, for those of you who are saved and are looking forward to heaven, I hope you're looking forward to being one of the greatest. I hope you're looking forward to being used by God and blessed by God by yielding yourself daily to Him, by praying and communicating with God. That example that Christ gave in praying all night and being in fellowship with the Father. Why? Because He wanted to be used by God. He wanted to obey His Father. He wanted His Father's will. And so He spent time praying to Him. That's what we need to do. We need to fill our lives with the Spirit. We need to be used by the Spirit and yield ourselves and stop trying to put on this outward behavior. Stop trying to do it on our own, but yield to God. Yield to Him. Remove yourself. Push that Pharisee out of your life. Yield yourself to God and be used by Him. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for these mighty words of Christ our Savior. Thank you that despite all my many sins and all our many sins, that you're willing to take them, to nail them on the cross, to pay the penalty of the law. And Father, I just pray that you would use us, that your righteousness would flow through us in what we do and what we think and in obedience to you. May we be your children because you've died for us, because you've loved us and you've changed us, that you've called us to righteousness and a wonderful life through Christ. We pray in his name. Amen.